Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, it won't be breaking news to you punters living and breathing the game daily, but there's no escaping the reality that the governance of rugby in this country needs a major rethink and fast, apparently. The New Zealand Rugby Governance Review Port a report was released yesterday morning. It was based from extensive consultation with rugby stakeholders and interested parties, both in person and through a well-publicised submission process. The findings, it's fair to say, were alarming and highlights a confused organisation that has dysfunction from the board way through to the way the game at grassroots level is administered. David Pilkington has been highly experienced and respected figure in boardrooms for decades around this country, covering so many options, along with Anne Irwin, Faimutu, Jews and Graham Morey, all very experienced people in business and in rugby as well. They were commissioned to do that and uh, David was the chair of this uh, independent panel and he joins us uh, this morning. David, thank you so much for your time. Good morning, Ian. David, uh, who asked for this process and uh, how long did it take? The... The origins of the process really began with the Players Association and the the fallout over the Silver Lake uh, deal. You'll recall um, the first um, proposal put forward by the rugby union out to its provinces um, and supported by them um, was rejected by the Players Association. What followed was quite a public spat over, over whether... Uh, the proposal was was the right way to go, and ultimately, of course, it got renegotiated and a new deal was put forward. Part of the Players Association support for that new deal was that a review be undertaken. So it was really the Players Association pushing for this, but in fairness, um, New Zealand rugby uh, really got in behind it, and Dame Patsy in particular, when she took over the chair... Was very uh, was very supportive of a thorough, detailed review into the governance and the constitution. So, David, how have we got to the point that uh, effectively it seems we've got a lot of the wrong people running the game in this country? Uh, yeah, look, what we were asked to do was was answer the primary question of whether the, the current constitution and governance was fit for purpose. And, and our response quite clearly in the report is that it is not. So how has that come about? Well, they've got a very convoluted process for electing directors onto the board of New Zealand Rugby. Now, Ian Impey, when he was chair of New Zealand Rugby, he implemented a number of changes that took... Um, took the direction towards trying to get more independent appointments on that board and try and get away from the old um, process whereby, you know, the New Zealand Rugby Council um, comprised the 26 provincial union members. They came to Wellington at an annual meeting and they elected uh, people onto the board. 
as a consequence, most of the people who were elected were really provincial union um, chairmen or um, you know uh, directors of provincial rugby. Ian moved. Ian and MP moved that process to to a sort of a three-channel election process. Uh, it's very convoluted and complicated. There's an elected category, a nominated category, and an appointed category. And um, frankly, um, a lot of people within rugby we spoke to uh, couldn't even explain the process to us. It's it's complicated and it deters a lot of people from standing. So, you know, it really starts with the Constitution. They've got to change the way in which uh, good people uh, identified and appointed to the board and then to ensure that they don't lose contact with the membership, uh, which is always a challenge in these in these federal structures. You know, you've got to keep the the membership base informed, engaged, and on side. So that's where we were proposing this council, and it's not, it, it's not novel. It's it's exactly what Fonterra do with their business. They have their board, and then they have their cooperative council. Zespri do it in terms of the effort they put into growing road shows and keeping the um, you know the membership base uh, very close, as do people like uh, food stuff. So, look, it's it's really, you know, rather than focus on, you know, throw the whole lot out and start again type thing, I think you've really got to start with, you know, how is the, how is the board put together? And um, we think that this process would be, would be very helpful for the existing board to take more control over who sits around that table, how long they sit around it. And that's another point because, you know, the current tenure, average tenure of directors on New Zealand rugby at the moment is under three years. So, you know, you can't operate an effective government structure where you've got this revolving door. You don't know necessarily who you're going to get served up um, in the process. Uh, It's just poor governance. And that's what we've attempted to address. David, just uh, how powerful then uh, are the unions? Um, because uh, these these will be revelations to a lot of people, you know, of uh, the fact that the, the provincial unions basically still uh, are the ones that have to be convinced about this. Just how powerful are they, and how hard do you think it's going to be getting them in line with these thoughts? Um, well, certainly they're powerful. I mean, they're the members of the incorporated society, the twenty six members. Votes are allocated across that membership uh, on the basis of how many teams, registered teams, they have in their provinces. So clearly the bigger unions get more votes. Um, It's fair to say under the current structure that uh, the five biggest unions control more than 25% of the vote. So yes, it is going to be uh, a challenge to to get all the unions on side. But what I would say is that, you know, where we, wherever we went, there was an acknowledgement out in rugby land that they've got issues and things aren't, things aren't being addressed. So, you know, it's that, it's that old adage that, well, if you're unhappy about the way it's, it's operating, surely you've got to be open to consider other 
other potential um, pathways. And the other thing I would say is, you know, we tend to refer to the 26 provincial unions as sort of, you know, one homogenous group. But even across that union base, you know, there's a huge difference between a heartland union and an NPC union. And then there's the NPC unions that sit in the heart of a super um, franchise. So, you know, what we found was out in the heartland unions, you know, the Poverty Bays, the East Coast, Horofanoas, Wanganoes, they, you know, they really are focused on community rugby. And there's some great things happening out there. Um, but then you've got the NPC unions, the big ones who, you know, who see success as winning the competition. And uh, then you've got all the feeder um, academies into super rugby. So across that union base, there's a wide range of views. What we're hoping is that this review, uh, through its wide consultation, will really encourage all of the unions to get around the table and say, you know, how can we improve the way we run and administer the sport? David, uh, what about uh, Maori and uh, Pacific representation here? Because if you look, I mean, if you watch on television, if you go to the games, it is an increasing number of Maori and Pacific players making up our top teams, our NPC teams, our super rugby teams. What about uh, their level of representation? Again, um, I mean, your observation is absolutely correct. And not only now in New Zealand teams, we're seeing it in other international teams where the domination of of um, Pacific Island players is 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 starting to to uh, to be felt. Yeah, we it, it, we certainly felt that um, Pacifica and Maori voices were were not well um, invited and heard. I mean, the you know we've still got a situation where the uh, New Zealand Maori Rugby Board uh, isn't um, empowered to select their own chair. The chair of the Maori Rugby Board is selected by the, the New Zealand Rugby Union, which today in today's uh, age seems bizarre. So we did we did note in our report that um, there needs to be much more effort to bring Pacifica voice and Maori voice. Around the around the table, and we stopped short of saying, you know, let's have a representation model that ensures they have one place and around the table, and someone else has another place. What we would prefer to see is a professional board who, you, you know, will clearly recognise the importance of those uh, Pacifica and Maori participants and they will want to ensure that they have good contact and representation back into those organisations. So, you know, we think think a lot needs to be done to to ensure that um, their voice is heard much more effectively than it is currently.
David, have, have we been perhaps a little bit uh, top-heavy too long? And I'm thinking here uh, about our attention to our top side, the All Blacks, and now of late, the Black Ferns. I mean, is the perception uh, if the All Blacks are good, everything will fall into place? I mean, everyone watches and supports the All Blacks when they're doing well, and, and all kids want to be All Blacks. I mean, that, that is no longer the case, is it? particularly with our youth. I think that's that's absolutely what we've found and uh, and what I think most people see. Um, I mean, kids nowadays have choice. I mean, parents, uh, you know, we're actually seeing a fall off in kids' participation in sport in, play, in the big urban areas like Auckland because, you know, two working couples with kids, uh, they're time poor. And the last thing they want to do is spend all of Saturday going all over Auckland taking kids to Saturday morning sport. So, you know, there is a push to to a lot of the other, um, what parents would probably describe as user-friendly user sports, you know, the, the sports that are played, you know, in weekday after, after, after school. Um, so rugby is under challenge for that participation. Um, and there has been, we heard a lot of people say that, you know, New Zealand rugby is focused too much on the high performance end of the game and not enough on the community and grassroots side. And I, I think that's a common, um, you know, complaint that, um, that we heard. And to some degree, uh, you know, we saw, we saw that. On the other hand, the game beyond or below our teams in black is not financially sustainable. So at the moment, it's all black sponsorship that is basically propping up the rest of the game. And, um, you know, what we identified in the report is, is, you know, we've got to, we've got to address that. The cost structure of MPC Super Rugby 19 professional teams can't be supported by a population of 5 million people. And, you know, that has to be addressed because if it's not, then the ability of all black sponsorship to effectively be channeled back in supporting club and grassroots rugby, um, you know, there's never going to be enough money. David, in terms of the confidence of the public or your fan base, and they're the people that you need to get reinvested into the game, what did you find their views are of uh, the rugby, New Zealand Rugby Union Board? I mean, I'll give you, uh, for example, we, you know, we're in radio here, and during the process of uh, appointing Scott Robertson in particular, our, our text lines, our phone lines were, were really hot on the subject of why can't they just get this sorted? And I think at that point a lot of people thought, uh, what's going on there? Who's running the cutter here? Is it, was that an example of what you're talking about? Um, yeah, I mean, that was... Uh, I think by any measure you get to see the, the, um, the difficulties New Zealand rugby had through its communications of, of the, uh, you know, the debacle in, in South Africa and then, you know, the, all, all of the communications around the coach... Um, uh, reappointment process. Um, you know, I don't think there's any other word for it. They're poorly, poorly handled. And um, I mean that uh, rugby is such a, uh, you know, such a talking point 
in the you know in the New Zealand community, and you can't um, you know you've you've got to handle those issues very very carefully. And um, I mean that one got away from them, and um, and caused you know a lot of public debate. They could they could handle those things much better. David, um, I guess, you know, we, we look at the, the NPC level and uh, a classic example was uh, the other night where uh, I believe uh, they were lucky to get a 1,000 people at Eden Park for a classic for a Manawatu victory over uh, Auckland. Is, uh, is it in your, the viewpoint of uh, the panel um, that this is retrievable or has it gone too far now? Um, I think it's retrievable. I mean, if... If um, if Wellington can fill that stadium at one o'clock in the afternoon to see two countries, neither of which have any direct affiliation with New Zealand, and put 34,000 people to watch a women's football game, you know, New Zealanders will turn out to watch sport. But, you know, what we found is we talked to a lot of young people and... It was quite a revelation to me. I mean, I grew up in a in an era where if the rugby, if the All Blacks were playing on the other side of the world in the middle of the night, you got up and and watched the game. Um, and you know, young people just don't think in those sort of terms. I mean, we we interviewed a number of young women uh, rugby players in Dunedin, and um, you know, their interest is in it's much more in the, the highlights and the digital content. You know, they want to go online and be able to view you know, their best moves, their favourite players. As they say, uh, as they said to us, you know, going to a stadium or watching, even watching rugby if they can afford a Sky subscription, you know, at 7.30 on a Friday or a Saturday night is not something... That's high on their priority list. So mm. that's where I think uh, the fan engagement, you know, you've got to go back to, um, you only have to look at things like the Drive to Survive Formula One program or Full Swing, the golf equivalent. Uh, that's where I think Silver Lake really does offer the, offer the opportunity to, to provide fans with a different form of engagement but I think you've also got to look at at cost. I mean, it's it's fair to say a lot of people turned out for those football um, FIFA games because the price was much more attractive. And I think we've priced rugby to a point that exceeds um, you know people's interest. And when Wellington hold a Ranfurly Shield match against Southland at Hut Rec in front of three and a half thousand spectators, you know, you say, you know, imagine that 10 years ago. Mm. Absolutely so, right, David. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think your thoughts, and I grew up at the same with the same era, um, incidentally as as well. And I, I echo your thoughts there. Uh, look, it's, it, we could talk for, for I think literally hours uh, about this particular report, but it's there to be read. Um, you know, I think it's it's gone. It's very, been a very very involved process, uh, and let's hope uh, that it's acted upon uh, pretty smartly because. Uh, as we say, uh, and uh, as we have been talking about, um, the interest levels appear to be waning, 
uh, to a point where uh, it is of great concern. David Pilkington, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it, and uh, well done on the report. And uh, uh, with your, your three uh, fellow members, uh, I think you've done a, a terrific job. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ian.